नमस्ते हेलो एंड वेलकम यू आर लिसनिंग टू स्टोरीज ऑफ इंडिया रीटोल्ड एंड आई एम यू स्टोरी टेलन निवी विद स्टोरीज फ्रॉम इंडिया रिसेंटली अ फैमिली मेंबर हु काइंडली लिसन टू सम ऑफ द एपिसोड्स ऑन द पॉडकास्ट मेंशन दैट दे आर नॉट वेरी क्लियर अबाउट हाउ नियोगा वर्क्ड मोर स्पेसिफिकली दे कुड नॉट रैप देयर हेड्स अराउंड हाउ अ सन बोर्न थ्रू नियोगा कुड इनहेरिट अ फादर्स लेगेसी especially so when they were not genetically related to the father's family i thought it was a great question and it made me think maybe in answering the questions on the podcast itself i could help answer my other listeners questions as well this got me really excited to be honest and i want for my listeners to be able to ask questions and so If you have any questions regarding any of the stories on this podcast please send them my way I will do my absolute best to give you the best answer I can and you can email me your questions to storiesofindiaretold@gmail.com and I will add that in the show notes and that is about that so about niyoga Today I'd like to talk about niyoga, what it is, how it works and the rights of the sons born through this practice. There are so many stories in ancient Indian literature where you will find instances where this practice was used. Not just in the Mahabharata, but you'll also see this in other stories. For example, the Ramayana, where Rama and all his siblings were conceived by the practice of niyoga. So what is it? Let's start with this explanation from V.B. Mishra. It's from the journal article The Practice of Niyoga in Ancient Literature of India, a sociological study, and I've referred to this once before on the podcast. Niyoga is a practice that goes back at least to the Rigveda period, which is the earliest Veda and dates between 1500 to 1000 BCE. A son begot by this practice is called a Kshetraja. It is said to have been adopted by the Aryans from the native people in the region and Mishra says and I quote With all emphasis on the sanctity of married life condemning adultery fornication etc the ancients as a measured step made room for the practice of niyoga where a woman could beget son through the younger brother of her husband during the lifetime of the latter if he was incapable of procreation or after his death if he died without any male child during the lifetime it was effected with the permission of the husband and after his death with the permission of the elders and quote looks like it started with begetting sons from the younger brother in the family probably to make sure the gene pool remained similar however As evidenced in the stories such as Kunti and the Pandavas, we know it didn't remain that way and they definitely sought out highly accomplished persons and brahmanas for the task. The root of the issue here and what it all comes down to in the end is infertility. Male infertility to be specific. And simply put, the system of niyoga worked like a system of sperm donation without the modern technology. the son belonged to the husband of the woman and the biological father had no rights the other issue that led to this practice is the importance of sons in the society you flip through a few pages of a book like the mahabharata 
and you quickly realize the importance of sons in that society. And honestly, personally, so much of our present-day issues made sense. The patriarchy, the preference of sons in majority of Indian societies, the pervasive caste system, it all started to make sense. I think that is why it is important to learn about the history of our people. It helps put things into perspective and hopefully encourages us to grow and be better. Anyways, I digress. As I was saying, sons were important. Most families owned pastoral lands and agricultural lands, and before that, tribes fought wars and needed men for battle. Most societies were patrilineal and patriarchal, and also patrilocal, which meant women lived in their husbands' family homes after marriage, and her sons continued the father's family line. Daughters were not sent to fight in a battle. They were not allowed to continue the family line, nor were they allowed to inherit, especially lands. Sons inherited the lands and they fought wars, and so they were essential to keep the lands in the family and to keep the tribe alive. The more people or sons in your clan, the bigger your clan and the more powerful you were. Sons were considered the extension of their father, someone who would carry the family legacy, and a man's life was considered unfulfilled without sons. Such was the need for having sons. There are many, like Manu, the author of Manu Smriti or Laws of Manu, who did not like the practice but approved of it anyways because it was a way to obtain the much-required sons. In many other stories, we have read how these births were referred to as divine conceptions and that is how much they dislike the idea of their women following the practice, but yet the society allowed it because they needed the sons. In Shakuntala and Dushanta's story in the Mahabharata, when Dushanta refused to acknowledge Shakuntala and their son Sarvadhamana, a.k.a. Bharata, Shakuntala gave him a very public and well-deserved dressing down, during which she talked about sons and wives and their role and importance in a man's life. I think this part of the story helps to give us a general picture regarding the place and role of sons and wives in society in those times. Shakuntala explained that if a lineage isn't continued, then their ancestors cannot go to heaven. So there is a spiritual side to this too. Sons are the ones who have families and help continue the lineage and hence are essential for a lineage to continue and to make sure the ancestors are not in hell and so it is an act of good dharma to have sons. This idea of sons being important to continue a lineage and humanity in general is talked about a lot in ancient Indian texts. But... There were different ways to obtain said sons. By sons, they didn't mean just the ones born to them biologically, although it was the preferred method. However, there were other ways. Let me explain. When Pandu was convincing Kunti to have sons by Niyoga, he talked about the different ways to have sons. Pandu said that the religious texts talk about different types of sons. There are two categories. Number one, sons who are heirs and relatives, and number two, sons who are neither heirs nor relatives. And each category has 
six different types of sons depending upon the manner in which a father obtained them. Now, some of the differences listed actually don't seem different and the author De Broglie also makes a note of that. So, ways in which a man can obtain sons who are heirs and relatives, as Pandu lists, include the biological son, a son obtained as a present or through purchase, a son born by his wife after his death, a son born to him with his wife before their marriage, and a son born to a woman who is not his wife. If a son is gifted, bought, obtained artificially, or someone comes on his own or becomes part of the family when his mother marries a man, or if the father is unknown or if the mother belongs to a lower social stratum, then that person would still be considered a son, however, he is not considered an heir nor a relative. I guess what it means is that in such cases they don't inherit. For example, Vidura, the brother of Dhritarashtra and Pandu. While they all shared the same father, that is Veda Vyasa Krishnadvaipayana, Vidura's mother was a Shudra woman, and that fact precluded him from being eligible to inherit the kingdom, even though he was considered part of the family and by all accounts considered near and dear to the Kurus. Pandu told Kunti that a man should try and have sons in the order of the different types of sons he had listed. So essentially, their idea of a son was not limited to just a biologically born son. There were rules about how to obtain sons and heirs. But a man had options because the point was to have sons. Sons born through Niyoga were considered sons who are both heirs and relatives since the father or the family acknowledged them as such. It was that simple. Unlike the process of Niyoga, which was anything but simple, and had strict rules about how it was to be conducted. Author Smita Sagal, in her journal article, Gendered Inquiry into Niyoga, appraising the institution from the perspective of female actors, mentions that at some point, the practice of Niyoga began to be considered as apadharma, a law that should be followed only during emergencies. She further says that over time it was practiced in various societies and castes in one form or another. And even when the practice wasn't popular anymore, it was still brought up sometimes as a solution from the past. And we see this in so many stories in the Mahabharata where women had to be convinced of the practice by others and they would tell them of instances that had happened in the past. There were strict rules about the process. It wasn't for pleasure and was for duty only. There were restrictions in place about how and how many times it could be performed, how many kids could be produced from the practice and instructions about the nature of the pair's relationship during and after the process. It had to be completely clinical. If the parties involved did not adhere to the strict guidelines in place, they risked being cast out from society. Kunti had three sons for Pandu through Niyoga. She refused to have more sons for him when he asked and declared that it was wrong for him to ask because she would be branded as a woman without morals if she had more sons through the practice. She said that even during times of emergencies, people don't have more than three sons and if she were to have a fourth son, she would be labelled promiscuous and if she had a fifth son, 
she would be labeled a courtesan there is so much more about the practice of niyoga that we could talk about like the gradual decline of the practice as population increased and the need for begetting sons in that manner declined or the fact that there is almost no mention of the daughters born through this practice and that they didn't enjoy the same privileges or acceptance as the sons or about the fact that a woman's identity was entirely tied to her ability to reproduce or that she had next to no agency over her body or over the sons she had the obligation to produce for her husband and his family but that is a different podcast that is all i have for you today about the practice of niyoga the sons born through this practice and their place in the family again you can email me your questions and you will find the email in the show notes thank you so much for listening if you have enjoyed the stories on this podcast please consider sharing it with your friends and family as always find the links for the podcast in the show notes i hope to see you next time dhanyawad thank you